Welcome, or welcome back, to the Better Men, Better Baseball podcast. I'm your host, Trey Cobb. Really thankful that you either, one, coming back, listening for another time, or you are visiting us for the first time. Whatever the case is, I'm happy that you found us, and hopefully you find some value or you continue to find value in the podcast. That's really all my goal is through this and through talking to other people that I'd like to talk to. It's just really just trying to promote the good game of baseball and promote how baseball coaches, what I feel are great, really great at, is helping develop a better mindset and a better person out of their ball player. Um, today, I really want to welcome uh, and have a great show, uh, an interview with assistant coach Matt Swope from the University of Maryland. So it's great to have uh, another Maryland guy on here. Coach Matt Swope is currently at University of Maryland. He's the recruiting coordinator, assistant coach. It's his eighth year overall at the at Maryland. His first five years, he was the director of operations for the Terps. And during his time with as a coach, he has boasted nine All-Americans, two academic All-Americans, and 32 Major League Baseball draft picks just in eight years. Um, the Terrapins advanced to their only two Super Regionals in school history in 2014 and 2015 and advanced to two conference tournament baseball championships during his tenure. This Marin alum um, was drafted in the 2002 Major League Draft by the Montreal Expos after a really great career. So many things that to, uh, to talk about with within his career uh, when he was at Maryland. Uh, he is a true Maryland Marylander throughout, through it, in and out, and um, he's a great follow on Twitter. He puts out some great content, um, and just the conversation I have with him, he is a awesome, awesome guy. Um, and we had a great conversation. This guy is so loyal to Maryland, and he really breathes crab cakes in Old Bay. That's something we had to talk about. It's something us Marylanders um, understand very well. But uh, he is very loyal to his crab cakes, very loyal to his Old Bay, and he loves his Maryland, and is very passionate about it. And you can definitely tell that as we as we talk in our conversation. But uh, Coach Swope is, uh, was a real privilege. He's a real pleasure to be able to talk to. He was one of, uh, I felt, one of the best best, best conversations I've had uh, in a while. And I really want to thank him uh, for taking the time to talk. Um, please reach out. You know, there's that's a great thing. Another great thing about baseball and the baseball world is how much guys are willing to share. So if you want to learn something or you're not sure of something, um, you'd be surprised, you know, the amount of information that people are willing to share, especially in the baseball world. And it just goes to, one, their humbleness. It goes to show how much they're willing to learn because they know, you know, as they, they've got it from somebody else or, you know, as they're going through learning, uh, they're very quickly to share. You know, unlike a lot of other sports, the things are very secretive. And, um, you know, baseball is not really that way. Uh, and Coach Wilp, you'll see that from him. He's very transparent. Um, he's learned a ton. You can tell he's a big learner, what he's even doing during his quarantine time. We get into those things of what he's doing himself 
to learn because we also, you know, through his expectations, you can see the kind of leader he is based off of what he's also trying to expect his kids to do. He's also learning himself, discusses those things. Um, we get that we break down nuts and bolts, some of the swing and some of the things he's trying to teach. He's really focused on the offense, um, and that's his responsibilities at, at Maryland right now. Um, but you'll see with Maryland made hitting, if you follow him on Twitter, Maryland made hitting, um, it's, he puts out some great content. So he dives into some things like that with hitting, but as well as what they do mentally, as well as how he's developing the player. And he dives into some of those things and what they do, uh, as well as how things have been so successful at Maryland and the culture they're establishing there within their staff. So a ton of great things. I, I really think there's a lot of value here. And um, I really, I really liked Coach Schwope. Um, you know, we have first got connected through Brian Kane because they brought in Brian Kane. And when I got involved and did my certification with Brian and uh, all the things that we done with Brian Kane, he matched us up. First contact there, and then just through Twitter, I had been um, contacting him just about some things he was doing. Uh, we're just very willing to share, but just through this conversation, I realized how much competitors we are. Uh, the intensity and the passion that he has um, is something that um, I connected with very well. And um, I look forward to and hoping to have many more conversations with Coach Swope. But um, I'm going to get right down into it, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview. Here he is, Coach from University of Maryland, Matt Swope. <laughs> So how are you? How, how are you guys um, still helping your guys during all this quarantine, this stay-at-home order? Yeah, so I mean, pretty much probably like a lot of other people, we're at the whim of depending on what state they're in. You know what I mean? So um, mostly Zoom calls. You know, some some guys are doing FaceTiming with me, um, but you know, we try to organize it right now where you know we're talking about some things you know weekly or every other week, and I'm trying to stay in touch with my guys. Uh, specifically to if they can get outside. Like I have a kid that can go out on a field in upstate New York and take full BP, take grounders, uh, send me video and I can break it down for them. And then we have a couple kids that are still in Maryland that literally can't go outside their door um, to work out. So um, I think right now we're, we're pretty much like the rest of the country, just trying to connect through Zoom, um, but also challenging them right now to say, hey, you know, what do you have um, accessible to not only work out in the basement or outside or you know are you doing something different so we challenge our guys to whether it's meditate or read a book or do something that they've never done before um to kind of still find a way to get better um and we've kind of challenged each of our guys to do that during our during this time that's funny you said like even meditating you're just finding uh whatever way they have to just get better yeah cool yeah and, cool. yeah I, I you know we we, we try to bring mindfulness to every day um, and what we do. And I think being present and all that's super important. Um, so, you know, when they're at home, it, I think it's easy for an 18 to 22 year old kid to say, well, this sucks. Why me? You know, the season got canceled. Um, but instead of playing Fortnite or, or games all night to fill that time, you know, it only takes three minutes a day to meditate when you wake up, you know, it only takes, um, read 10 pages a day. Don't, don't try to say, read a chapter, read 10 pages a day. Um, and over the course of time, you know, whether it's meditation, you're rewiring your central nervous system, 
Or all of a sudden, if you read 10 pages a day of another book, you read four to five books a year. So um, trying to just put it into context like that form where they understand they could still get better in small doses. Absolutely. So what's something that um, I guess you've been working on? Like what's something that you've been learning? So like during this time, like, you know, like, man, there's Zoom calls, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like I know you, you've been on a bunch of podcasts. Yep. Um, so what's something that maybe during this time you've had a little bit extra time that's kind of caught your eye and what you're trying to dig into? Yeah. I mean, for me, I've, I've taken this time to all about professional development. Um, I've spent over 80 hours of my own time doing a presentation that's like 200 slides long. And I really did it for me, uh, just specific on hitting. Uh, so I think a lot of times when you're, when you're talking about things and you're learning over the years, clarity and being able to actually explain it to your staff and kids is all that matters. So I've taken that time to, to really put a lot of professional development into that. Um, I've done the driveline certification. I've done another 108 certification. I've done those because not necessarily that I thought I may have needed them, but it's my job to be educated whether I agree with them or not. So why not take the time to do it? So it is, it is costly. So I try to take my time of, of, of piecing that together. But um, you know, during this time, just, you know, just trying to stay open-minded and, and, and grow in any way I can, even in my profession. Sure. And I think that speaks volumes to yep. the kind of leader that you are, because, you know, especially you're not going to ask your players to get better if you're not either. So I think that's awesome that you're showing your guys that, you know, as yep. well. Yeah. Um, so I guess what kind of, what kind of things have come up through those things? Has anything really challenged you? Has anything changed you? Has anything said like, nah, I got like, or like confirmed what you already do? Yeah. I mean, I think when, when you're, whenever you're trying to go through a presentation or, or explain something to someone, you, you have to be clear and, and whether you understand it or it's your vernacular, your vocabulary doesn't mean someone else is going to understand it. So trying to dummy it down, for instance, of, you know, someone that's here with me or or trying to explain it to Katie, I make her go through and she's like, okay, that makes sense based off the video you're showing me and the principles you're doing. So so even to go to a layman and say, hey, does this make sense in a presentation factor? Um, and then kind of delving into making sure that I'm communicating in the right way, even through a presentation. So first, what I'll do is I'll break it down just in the slides to see if a person can understand it just in the slides and the content. And then once I film myself actually giving the presentation, I can really fill in the blanks. So for me, um, you know, it's more about the clarity and, and, and how can I do things. but um, it's what I believed in. I, I think we all as coaches grow over the years. So I take notes like this every year to see how I've changed and what I've learned. Um, that way I can reference that back in my coaching or to other people and say, Hey, you know what, man, three years ago, I, I was the one saying, catch it really deep, um, see the ball deep. And that may have been a bad external cue for some of my guys that started dropping their hands and getting beat, you know? So, um, little things like that throughout the process. I try to explain why um, and how it's worked for some guys. Really cool. Um, and that's, that, that's true. Uh, I think, you know, you, you talked about things that were, you were like maybe three years ago. So um, what kind of specific things have changed for you, you know, since either the start or like really what's maybe the drastic, big, the biggest drastic change that you've kind of seen in your progression as a coach? Well, I always go back, you know, I think some of the bad things with coaches is that we tend to go back to like what we did, right? Um, what we thought worked. And, and I had some success in college. So it's, 
I think it would be easy for me to say, no, well, this is the way to do it. You know, and I think sometimes we get caught up in that, but I've tried throughout my coaching career to put the ego aside, have it nothing to do with my personal career, what I did to make it seem like it was right. So, but when I look back at hitters, I look back at myself and, you know, the natural kind of kickback or scissor I did or, or how I was moving at the plate. To me, it was always made sense. And it, what did make sense was all this bat speed and building the engine and front side moves and pulling off. So I think over time, it just kind of more solidified my thoughts where I got confident in expressing this, where everyone's like, let's put a, a machine up and do 90 miles an hour from 30 feet away. And I'm like, well, the guy isn't having time really to have his movement profile with his timing and balance. And what I mean by that is any of us can get up there and hit a 90 mile an hour fastball from a machine from 30 feet away. But do you have the time to actually move the right way efficiently to hit that? So that that's timing to me. It's a timing isn't just because you can hit it. Timing is you have to be able to move within your movement profile to be efficient. For instance, if you're going to use a machine, they should be used at 50 feet or, or, or later, and they should be used at with a balance point. Literally, pull your leg up and put your hand up. And as soon as you pull your leg up, a guy should start his movement profile. So we're actually, coach, as coaches, we're moving these machines in, speeding their timing mechanisms up, and then it's actually doing them a disservice in the game. They're actually speeding everything up instead of slowing it down. So everything starts with me in timing and balance. And if the drill you're doing doesn't promote correct timing or balance, you shouldn't be doing it. So just because we can move a machine up and say, hey, that's equivalent to 90, doesn't mean it's promoting the right movement patterns for our guys. So I, I know that's kind of like specific and, and, and detailed, but you know, I try to tend to think a little bit like as a contrarian thinker is like, just because there's data out there, just because there's all this stuff out there doesn't mean it's applicable. Okay. We, sometimes we tend to measure stuff because it can be measured, but you know, as coaches, we still have to decipher all this and apply it to not only what, what, how the kid's going to use it, but how he learns. He could be a visual learner. He could be an external cue guy. He could be an internal cue guy. You know, us as coaches have to have to put all this stuff together. But one thing I'm definitely certain on is timing and balance for sure. So with, you said like, so you're not a guy that, so let's say, so did you used to speed guys up like that and get them ready? Like, you know, throw that machine up really high. Is that something you used yeah. to do? And now that you, you don't do those things because you want to see them move better? Yeah, I think it was a, it was a love-hate relationship, right? Because, you know, <clears throat> well, people say, oh, so you don't throw BP from 30 miles an hour? I mean, from 30 feet? I said, I do. But a hitter can see me come through my whole motion and have his normal movement pattern. Okay, that's fine. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying trying to come up and put a machine up there, put your hand up and go, and then all of a sudden he's not moving till the ball is almost being released and we're speeding everything up. And it's not good. So yes, we used to do it. And I used to just see the kids struggle. And, you know, it was like, okay, they do need to fail in order to improve. But are we making them fail the right way? And so we used to do angle, we used to do close machines, we used to do, um, 
you know, two machines together um, that were called the two headed monster. So yeah, we used to do that. And then I had a conversation with the staff um, and, and you know what, they, they didn't always agree with me. They said, well, I think, you know what, it's hard. They need to adapt. So what, whatever. And I just go back to, um, to me, everything's about timing. Um, if, if you're doing a drill and they don't have the ability to move within their profile and you're speeding them up, nothing good is going to come out of that. So is it, is, it a, is it a matter of like how guys are putting into the machine? So you don't like the machine at all anymore? <clears throat> I would put it back as long as it's 50 feet or back. Oh, okay. So, okay. so if and they're just making sure that everybody has like a certain balance timing point. with it. Yeah. Just uh, the, your guys, depending on their movement profile, you almost, you're like a pitcher. You bring that balance point up and then you put your hand up, then put it in the machine. Now, is it going to be perfect like a pitcher? No. But we should be more concerned with are they moving correctly to give them a chance to make good contact other than just the result of how did he hit it, if that makes sense. So um, I think sometimes with the mini hacks, guys used to always just pull it up around 30 feet. And it's like, you know, what are we really achieving out of that? You know what I mean? Because you see, I can watch one of my guys that has a high leg kick, and then I just watch four straight rounds for 45 minutes where – He's barely taking that normal leg kick. He's shortening up and he's doing all these things just to hit the ball. So is that really promoting his movement pattern, which he's going to do in a game tomorrow? You know what I mean? Um, and actually he's wiring his brain um, and speeding himself up. And that's, that's not going to be good. I love how you just talk, you continue to say promoting good movement patterns. So that seems like that's something that you continue to, you must, you must say a lot to your hitters. Yep. <clears throat> you know, con- you know, promoting good movement patterns, and I love that movement pattern, and I love the word "movement" better than mechanics now too. It's just more fluid, it's more athletic. Um, so, how are you? Uh, so, of course, I'm sure that's part of your language every day. You talk to them. What uh, What other things are you doing to help them promote good movement <clears throat> patterns? Yeah, I think our philosophy is a, is a movement based approach and timing based approach. That's what I say. So, when people ask me you know, what is my hitting philosophy? It's, it's movement based and it's timing. That's it. So, um, you know, what we're doing is we can use any number of things, but if a guy isn't getting to a balance 50, 50, meaning he's not balanced when he's going to launch start over. Okay. There's no sense in talking about his swing, his hands, any of that until he gets balanced. Um, also a lot of times, like I'm talking about with timing, you know, I tell kids, I bring them in for video and they're like, coach, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Um, I'm not doing this. And I'm like, bro, let's, let's come watch the video. And I show them from the center field camera. They're not getting their front foot up to the balls being released. I said, you can forget all about your mechanics, everything else. You're starting way too late. You know, you're not, you can't expect to hit 92 when you start to your movement profile um, from at the balls released. Then I do a screen share right next to them and see that Mike Trout's at peak leg lift before the guy even releases the ball. And I said, you wonder why he's so efficient in his movements because he's getting up on time and then he can get balanced. What you're actually doing, he said, but coach, I'm out in front on that ball. I said, yeah, you were out in front because you were late. Started you, had, late. you had to start late. So everything sped up. So you were out in front. Yeah. So they're actually looking at me like with their eyes bugged out. And I'm like, yeah. So scratch all that. Today, we're just going to get on time. Yeah. It's um, like, if you're, lo- you know, the, even the old thing of your, if your load is fast, you're coming fast. Like it's just what it is. Correct. So, you know, a lot of times it's elementary like that, right. Where, where you just trying to, the kid always wants to go to mechanics or this or that, but it's really, it's like, dude, this is what we control every pitch. 
You can control how you move and how you get on time. Can't control the result. Can't control the pitch. But you can control this. And in this game, there's not a lot we can control. So, you know, I, I really start there. And it doesn't mean that I don't do mechanics. You know what I mean? If a guy's got a, a 20 attack angle and he's a second baseman, I'm like, bro, I mean, you're way too uphill. If a guy's a power hitter and he's like at, at, a, at a two, I'm like, you're too level. You need to get, you know, you need to get that up and get the ball in the air. So, you know, we attack specific things per the guy, but they need to understand their movement pro- profile first. And to give listeners an example of that, you know, I like to categorize guys like loose and tight movers. You know what I mean? Like so many guys now in, in strength and conditioning are just going straight to mobility and all that, but they're not understanding that what if the tight movers are actually the better hitters? Like they don't need the mobility. I mean, Mike Trout's a tight mover. You know how much you know how much harder it is for Christian Yelich to repeat all that movement that he has. Now he's one of the best in the game, but he's got a lot to do. You know what I mean? Um, so you look at the tight movers in the game. A lot of times when we recruit hitters, you know, shorter arms, tighter swings, efficient swings, like that's a good thing. So why are we trying to create more range of motion and mobility? I mean, that doesn't. They have to recruit more muscles and pull that more slack out. So. I think, you know, we, we try to look at guys like that, that, hey, tight, loose movers, and then kind of approach what they should be doing after that. So, yeah, so, so speaking of that, so when – man, that can go two ways. You know, we can really dive into the loose and tight movers because I love that. Um, you know, I've talked to Tom Miller a lot about that. Um, you know, and then two, we'd love to be able to get into the recruiting side of the thing, and that'd be a great way. Mm-hmm. Um, so – Really, that's up to you, man. Whatever, like, whatever side you want to go, but uh, loose yeah. and tight movers. Because um, I even look at a lot of like even traditional, like you think of our like Hall of Fame hitters. A lot of them are tight movers. Yeah. Um, a ton of them are. But yeah. yeah, like let's let's get into that, man. Like, um, so as you as you categorize, because I'm sure you're still going to get some guys that are just loose movers. Yep. Um, so <laughs> let's just one. Let's just ex- explain to me, so everybody can under, get on the same page. Like, let's have that clarity of. Mm-hmm. what's a loose mover when you see it and what's a tight mover when you see it what do you do for the loose mover to get them more consistent like you said with Yelich having to do everything repeatedly yeah. mm-hmm. and then what would you do to continue with some good tight movers yeah so it's it's pretty simple I'll give you an analogy so so what we think about probably with with loose movers are your guys up the middle um your short stops your center fielders guys that are athletic have range, um, can do a bunch of stuff. Those a lot of times are the guys that are loose movers um, because they're the most athletic. So so what that means is those are kind of the guys that may have the high leg kick, right? Or or have the bigger movement profile at the plate because they, they can handle it and they probably need that to be most efficient, right? I can't take a guy who's 6'3 and super loose and long and try to get him with a pickup, you know, pull down and, and just, you know, have your hands and move an inch. Like that's probably not going to work for him to get the most out of him. Okay. So, you know, a good analogy is probably like your loose movers are the ones that are athletic up the middle. Um, a tight mover may be, you know, for instance, you know, for us and Maxwell Costas, who's, you know, six two two forty, um, and just super efficient and tight. And guess what? That's totally fine with me. He's got a smaller movement at the plate. He's probably a guy that wouldn't really do well if you gave him a Mike Trout leg kick, you know what I mean? just because it's not in his movement capability. Um, and why would I try to just give him mobility and range of motion to do that when he's already super efficient and the pitcher is supplying all the power he needs at 95. So um, I think that's just like a quick analogy for tight and loose movers. 
Um, I'm 100% um, just not in the mold of let's get an assessment and everybody in the weight room with baseball and do mobility and range of motion. That's not a one size fits all. And I think we've had a lot of discussions with our strength trainers and actually on a national level now where, you know, we're trying to get away from that. It's not just, Hey, this is the diagnosis, you know, you know, because think about all these strength and conditioning guys, they're all getting NSCA certified CSCS for overall um, anatomy, biomechanics, strength and conditioning for every sport. Well, baseball is very specific. It's, it's a very tough skill. You know, hitters are different than pitchers and, you know, everybody's different. So you, you can't just say, okay, well, he lacks, you know, IR or ER in this situation. Well, he's, he's been working towards this his entire life and his body is adapted to that movement. You know what I mean? Why are we trying to get it longer or, or bigger or more range of motion? And I think, you know, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, but I think that's where you can see a lot of the, a lot of the injuries that are happening right now. Um, and, and they're, they're exploding more than ever. So, um, for us, we're just trying to, it doesn't mean that a guy doesn't need mobility or, or to be, to work on certain things, but it shouldn't be the automatic, Oh, there it is. It looks like this, you know, we should be comparing it to Mike Trout, like the most efficient baseball player. What does he do? Okay. Let's compare them to elite baseball players. Let's not compare them to um, Joe Schmo off the street. <clears throat> so with your, with your loose movers, or like you say, your tight movers, when you want to be like child. So like, what are, what are the things that you are going to work on with a tight <clears throat> mover when you're comparing Mike Trout? Mm-hmm. What are some things that you like to bring to the table and say, okay, you're a tight mover. I want you to work on these things to help develop and promote that good movement pattern. Well, I mean, I think for both, whether it's a tight or loose mover, right? Like we want a really efficient tight turn. You know what I mean? We want, we want our trunk and pelvis closed. Um, as long as possible to, to transfer that force in the middle of the field. So those things are universal with my guys, but you know, a loose mover may be, you know, he may leg kick, but he don't, he may not know why he's leg kicking. Right. Um, he may be leg kicking, but not activating his glute in a front move. So, you know, a cue could be like, let's get that front foot under the front hip during your leg kick. And what that's going to do is it's going to activate that front glute and control his back hip. So we're getting good direction moving forward and we're balanced as opposed to, Hey, let's turn that back hip and rotate. And then all of a sudden we have a counter rotation and his front shoulder and front hip is off the, off, um, off the ball. So for loose movers, you have to really pay attention to that because they can have more to go wrong. You know what I mean? It's easier for my tight movers to just focus on direction, um, space for a tight mover. It could be just easily like posture thing, right? Like, Hey man, like you're a super tight mover, but you're straight up. I need to get you in a hinged position. Um, when you get to 50, 50, you know what I mean? Some of them are like, coach, well, what about Cody Bellinger and all that? And I'm like, well, the first thing he does is hinge. Okay. You can start tall or you can start hinge like full holes, but his first move is a hinge. Correct. At some point you have to do that in order to get to a balanced 50, 50. So you can turn efficiently. Mm-hmm. What was that? What was that cue you talked about with the front lead leg and the hip? Is that basically like you said that gets your knee under under? Un, what did you say about that? Yeah, if a, if a kid thinks about, you know, we I see leg kicks all the time. It, yeah. Like if you see a pitcher's leg kick, yep. Um, it it could be wild. It could be out in front, but it doesn't mean it's controlling anything. It doesn't mean that it's activating your glute either. So just because you leg kick doesn't mean that's going to happen. You actually, if you if you practice when we got off here and you practice a leg kick or smaller move with your front foot 
or front heel under the front hip, you would feel it control your back hip and you would feel it in your glute. And all of a sudden, when you see guys that are moving forward, a lot of times when they just do the wild leg kick, their hips are like this when they're moving forward, as opposed to if you just pick it up correctly, front foot under the front hip, you'll see their belt buckle stay even. So again, we want to have that nice forward move and stay balanced. We don't want everything like this when we're moving forward just because we have a leg kick, right? Because if I land like this with my hips and or my swing like this, I got to have a counter movement once I'm here, right? So. That was awesome, man. Yep. That was awesome. Yes. That's, that so is just, really good. That's yeah, a price. Just, that's a good, <laughs> that's a great tip. Because <laughs> I would just, I'm just literally sitting here on a stool right now. So I'm just literally just picking up my heel and thinking, oh yeah, like, because it just really activates almost like, I, I feel like in my IT band, you know, running up my leg, you know what I mean? But like, you can definitely feel like just what that heel does as you pick it up a certain way and control it, you know? And yeah, um, and I think, you know, a lot, of times, you. a lot of times people, <clears throat> you know, coaches or even ourselves, like we, we say, get into the back hip, right? Yeah. But for some kids, as soon as you tell them to get into that back hip, They're gonna they, sway. Ro- they rotate or sway, but they rotate. And the first move is around. If now you change maybe their setup, move their hips a little bit forward a tick and give that cue, all of a sudden, man, they control that back hip perfectly. Their forward move is slow and smooth. They land balance and boom, it's like that. So you said basically when you give them that first move, it's almost basically closing them off. Like we're just going to put you closed off and that way it helps you kind of rotate. Well, I think when you activate the glute, you know what I mean? When you're activating the glute correctly with the, with the external cue that I gave you, yeah. it automatically does it. Yeah. You, you'll see them get into the hip, but they'll control their front, front move better. Because let's be honest, we can, we can talk about teacher man. We can talk about all these guys that have these swings where they really believe in getting into that hip and screwing around the femur and all that. That's great. But what they don't talk about then is what's the next move? Like, do you have adjustability? Are you getting to 50, 50? Like, Yes, you can create lots of power like that, but if your first move after that is off just to create some power and bat speed, like what are you going to do for adjustability out front? Or, and, you, or if you can't decel either. Correct. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, if you want to get into that, I mean, my whole philosophy, I mean, hitting is more about how well you stop than how well you do anything. Well, yeah, just so, trout, so. trout is a trout is a guy like correct. that. He's a, he's a prime correct. example of it, you know? Correct. And that's why when you get into your scissor, you know, you're getting your scissor and your kickback. I mean, that's what it is. It's basically slowing it down. I mean, because my son, you know, it's funny. I was, look, my son's only nine. But like, you can just tell he's a a loose mover. He's a middle infielder. He's a little guy, you know, so he's going to, he's going to move. And so, yeah, like when he doesn't just, I can show, I just say, why don't you just move this leg out of the way? And it just helps him just to be able to stop, you know. But like you said, I think it's the, it's the move getting through the ball, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's saying if, Getting to the ball is number three. Well, what's the fourth thing? You know, three to yep. four, you know, some people talk about like hitting the th- three or four balls in a row. Like, you know, what does that look like? And I think that's what that, that D cell pattern looks like. So how do you, how, what's, what, what have you found the best way to help with that, that next move, that D cell? Yeah, I think, I think you really have to go specific to the guys, but I have tons of drills. So let's just go for instance, like a Frisbee, right? I'll yeah. give a guy a Frisbee. Say, go try to throw that thing as far as you can. Well, it's easy to build the engine up and then throw it to left field or third base, right? But how do you transfer that force with direction in the middle of the field? And automatically, you will see them kick back or stop their pelvis. 
to, to, to get direction. So I think when you, when you break it down, like just give them a Frisbee, um, you know, you talk about bowling, you talk about, you know, all these d- things that have reciprocal movement, which is, which is based on human movement, period. Um, that's what we do. We counterbound, we, we counter move, we reciprocally move. It's, it's, it's loaded into our spine when, when kids crawl and walk, that's, that's just what it is. Um, and we're most efficient when we do that. So, you know, specifically for drills, we'll do an exaggerated scissor, um, where we'll have like the guy swing normal, but his back foot has to come behind his front foot. So he's literally striding closed and his back foot comes behind his front foot and he has to stop his pelvis and force direction. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of med ball stuff where it's blocked. So you're severely, severely scissored to start and you get them to throw and turn with direction and they can kind of see when they pull off, um, and, and all that. So, so you put them in, in constraints first to show them like, Hey, you do it your way. Why is the ball going to left field? You do it my way. Why is the ball going up the middle? And you start to show them like that. And, or, you know, if, if they're visual learners, bring them in and say, Hey bro, like, look at this move right here. It's your, 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 your pelvis is already gone and your trunk's already leaking energy and on video. So, so it has to be per the guy. Um, but there's plenty of ways to do it. And, and honestly, when, as, as a coach, when you're doing these drills, I just make them do it. And I don't, I don't necessarily talk about why sometimes I just put them in the constraints. And once they kind of understand it, obviously throughout the fall, um, then I get into some individual stuff with that guy. So what will you see prior to giving them the exaggerated scissor, a couple of these med balls? Like, what are you programming? Like, why are you programming that? Yep. Well, I mean, everything's about bat speed baseball now. So, and no offense, like, um, you know, every, everything you see is about X of velocity launch angle. And then what a kid's doing on bat speed off the tee, which I don't care about. Um, there's a reason why that the major league average bat speed is 69 miles an hour. So let's just put it in a window of 65 to 75 mile an hour bat speeds from, from major league baseball players. Yet we have kids posting 81 mile an hour bat speed off the tee. Well, that's great. But like, there's no way that you're being efficient with that bat speed. The reason why major league players are in that category is because they're so efficient. They don't have time to build up that bat speed. They're efficient when they start to swing. They're so efficient to the ball. They don't have large bat speed numbers. They're just efficient. They transfer the force efficiently. So we're getting the wrong message out to kids by just, hey, you got to build the bat speed, bat speed up. But that doesn't matter if the guy's swinging towards his foul pole. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I spent a lot of time on trying to explain that aspect of it and show examples. Um, and, and that's where, you know, you got to go back and, and have it be more about the movement efficiency than, than just building up an engine because of a result like launch angle or exit velocity. Like th- those are result based. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I'm just, I'm processing, man. We're just, we're just rolling into it, man. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, because so, I mean, yeah, you thought about blast, you think about a lot of these things data wise that we're doing, you think of a PBR event that's going on. Um, and now track man's coming out with the, you know, we're going to help them out. Um, you know, what do you think? So when you're, when you're looking at a player and you're recruiting now and what metrics 
are there any metrics that you're really caring about? Or do you just totally want to see them on video? Man, I, you know, I talk about this all the time. People ask, like, it's the most common asked questions. Like, what are you looking for? And sometimes I say, I don't know. I'm like an artist. You know what I mean? Like, you're an artist. You're a coach. Like, you watch a baseball game different than I do. You you see a player different than I do. Why do scouts disagree? Why is the the, the draft different? Why do guys go unseen or, or, or undervalued? Like, I feel like I'm just an artist and I, and I kind of see what I see. Yeah, am I looking for, like, actions and balance and – and how he carries himself and all those different things. Sure. I'm looking at that, but I couldn't give you one specific thing of like, that guy's awesome because of a B or C, you know what I mean? Um, and that, that's what makes it even tougher these days when I hate how early the recruiting is. Like I'm literally like, you know, talking to 14 and 15 year olds for six, eight hours a week. And I, I don't think it's right. I think we do need to push it back. Um, because it just kind of forces everybody in this kind of bubble to, to do things because they think we should do it. It doesn't mean it's right. So um, I also think it's that's why there's so much parity in college baseball. You can get a Davidson that goes down and wins a regional because, you know, of that exact thing. So, um, you know, I think it gets harder and harder because my guess sometimes is as good as yours when we're talking about a 14-year-old um, that has some projection that's loose. Um, that hasn't even remotely grown into his body yet. So um, I know that I didn't answer your question. I'm just trying to be as transparent, honest as possible. It's like if anybody thinks it's A, B, or C, or they've got it figured out, they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just funny. Like I just didn't know like, if you even looked for tight movers. Like if that's something that you yeah. just felt more like that's just part of like who you can develop better, uh, maybe that you're looking for those guys. <laughs> or do you do you need a guy that says, hey, it's got to be 95 X of velocity or better like that at our level. Like we've just consistently seen yeah. those kind of guys hit there. Um, you know, I mean, I just didn't know if there was a certain metric that you're really looking for that says, says this is, this is where no. we're at. No, I wouldn't even look at the metrics, but that is, that is a good point. Like I, man, the way my brain works, I equate everybody to a position, right? So I say, you know, he's a shortstop, but how does he move? Is he going to stay there? Do I see him as a second baseman or a third baseman or, is this guy a corner guy um, in the outfield that really needs to get bigger and, and then hit? So you're right. I do look at guys per the position and how they move based off that, just like we talked about earlier. Because, you know, if a guy has a certain movement profile, the game is fast at this level. So, um, you know, you have to be able to equate that to what's going on. So that's exactly right. That's a good, good extended point. I'm definitely looking at where they would fit and how they move per the position, but not necessarily – just pigeonholing him into like, oh, well, he's a loose mover, so he can't hit here, or he's a tight mover. It's more about position-based. Position-based as in like the defense position you're talking Correct. about. Correct, correct. And, and how we can then fill that in with there. But so you're not really looking specifically like, oh, I like tight movers, or I like loose movers, or you just want, I guess just... No, I mean, I think it's, it's preference, right? Like, <clears throat> you know, if, if a guy is a loose mover, um, I'll give you an example. We got a guy at Bobby's and Marzalak that... Um, was a freshman this year and a couple years ago. I mean, he was he was literally the best player I've ever seen. Um, I couldn't believe it. And he had four or five home runs just in the short stint this year. Um, he's like a deer. I mean, he's 6'4", um, runs a 6'5", 60, super loose. Um, you know, you see a kid like that and you're like, he just does things on the field that nobody does. You know, so he's kind of in a category of his own, right? Um you know, so I'm not going to say because he's a loose mover and he's at that. Now nah, I'm not recruiting him. He's just different. He's a front foot hitter. 
you know, and it's just like you know, Jason Bay or guys like that, like, or Todd Frazier, you just don't coach that out of them because it's just sometimes guys hit that way and they're really good. <laughs> so, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I, I put it all into that, but um, I definitely think there's some characteristics of guys at certain positions that uh, would probably bode well or be better. <clears throat> so it's really just looking at their position and how them as a whole and what they do. Yeah. So will you, um, I'll be just thinking of a, a, on the pitching side, are you also recruiting pitchers as well? Or is it mostly you just try to stick to the position guys? Yeah. You know, we've always done a, you know, since I've been here, it's my eighth year of Maryland. Um, we've always split the recruiting up. So there's, you know, there's no such thing as a recruiting coordinator or one person um, hustling out on the road. Um, we always try to get different eyes. The, the, the pitching guys is, is going to take care of his guys and I'm looking at them, but, but we all, we all cross over, you know, we all see different things. We, we talk about every guy before we make a decision. Um, so it's definitely cross. Like I may see something with a pitcher. I'm just like, Hey man, like, he just the way he moves and how fast his arm is he's he's only 83 85 right now but with a little bit more base um and, and stuff like that i can see him pop so i'm giving a different perspective like almost like i'm not the expert i try to learn as much as i can about pitching but um and it may be different than how the pitching coach just kind of thinks or the way he competes that is not really putting the co pitching coach over the edge to make a decision. I'm just giving different perspectives. So um, I think when we're all around each other as coaches or whatever, you want to have somebody that challenges you, um, even if you're dead set on wanting to offer a guy, because um, obviously the more that we're challenging each other, I think great conversations can come from that. Sure. Sure. And I like how you said about, you know, there's no one, I mean, it's a title, but it's a, it's definitely, I'm sure as a staff, you know, yep. recruiting is just something as a staff you're just trying to help out. Yep. Uh, is that something you just share videos between everyone? Is that probably the best thing for people to do is just be able to share a video with you? Yeah. So, so what we do is, you know, every day that we have a conversation with a kid, we, we put a summary in an email with each other. So that may include video, um, all that stuff. So I'm, I'm constantly, there's so many kids out there. I'm constantly processing pictures subconsciously, even if I'm not seeing them, you know, every day. So I'm, I'm getting to know them and I'm seeing how they move. And then obviously once, if the games ever start again, I'm seeing tons of pitchers too. Like we, we cross recruit, like I will go see a pitcher, um, even though I'm not the pitching coach, cause I want to see him and give him my opinion. Does the same thing with hitters come back and say, Hey man, like he looks kind of steep, you know, with his swing. Like, you know, do you think you can help that or fix that? And my, my argument is, yeah, well, he's heavy on his front side. That's why, like, that's, that's an easy movement thing that I can fix as opposed to maybe a mechanical flaw or his long swing that may be harder to fix. So um, those are the type of conversations that are happening, but we're definitely cross-recruiting um, and kind of crossing our T's and dotting our I's per se. Sure, sure. I mean, you, you mentioned about how you've been at Maryland now eight years. How have, what have you, what is the, what's the growth been like in eight years that you've been there? Because I know you've been a part of like some of the best teams that Maryland has had. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, and so what have, what, what have you seen? Well, I mean, to me, man, um, I'm about as born and bred as it gets, man. Uh, you know, I went to DeMatha High School on Route 1. My Both of my parents went to Maryland. They were married at the chapel on campus. So uh, my passion for this place bleeds through everything. And I want it to be that way for a reason um, because that it, that's where my heart is. So um, 
when I was here, man, we had five scholarships. So my senior year, we won 34 games. We had eight players drafted, uh, but we had five scholarships and an ACC that only had nine teams. So we mashed, but we didn't have the money for the pitching and it hurt us. Um, so to come to see where we have come from five scholarships in 2002, my senior year, to being fully funded um, and raising $200,000 a year um, per se, um, to some facility changes and a super regional, two super regionals, one game away from Omaha. Um, if you were in my position back then, um, it would be hard to fathom. So I can't tell you how proud I am, how long we have come um, to get to this point. And I, I just, I, I just can't tell you how excited I am for the future with the guys that we're bringing in. We're killing it recruiting um, and, and just be Maryland, be that destination school as opposed to, oh, well, Clemson didn't offer me or Vanderbilt didn't offer me. So they're good. No, like, you know, that was kind of, we kind of got over that hump when we beat South Carolina, the number one seed there in 14. And then we beat the number one overall seed in the country in 15 at UCLA. So I feel like we got kind of over that hump um, and we got hurt by the high school draft a little bit the last couple of years, which people know that will, that will hurt you. But um, I think we're back on track and we're ready to roll again. So what do you think um, has, has allowed those things to happen? Like what are some things that you think has made you guys successful? Well, I think you got to have people that are passionate and care, right? It can't be, can't be a turnover position, even though we've had multiple head coaches. I think there's some common denominators um, like myself and, and Rob, who's been there eight years now, and Coach Papio, who's our volunteer, who played there um, for five years and now is a, you know, one of our volunteers. So I think you got to have people that are personally invested in it and passionate. Um, and I give Eric credit for that. Eric was kind of turned the tide a little bit, who's Eric Backage is the head coach at Michigan now. He did a good job starting to do that and turning the tide. Um, and we were able with Coach Shep to kind of kind of push that forward a little bit um, into the point where now it's just kind of like we've had the same culture for eight years. We've had the same kind of mindset. And I think when you're recruiting, at the end of the day, when you look back at good teams, you see, you see good things. You two things. You see good senior leadership or junior leadership, you know, and you see compulsive competitors. And I say compulsive, meaning if anybody's watching The Last Dance and Michael Jordan, that's what I mean is compulsive. Uh, there, there's no words for it. You either, you know, when someone comes here and plays me in ping pong, I'm trying to destroy them. And you, you either have that or you don't. And I think when you get a group of guys collectively that consistently compete and do that, you're going to have good things or you're going to have the best result of them as a person. Oh, that's cool. So that was the next thing I was th just just thinking about when you're talking about the people is like describing the kind of players that really helped you get to yep. this point. Cause it's, you know, it comes down to that too. Like, you know, you're, you're recruiting the right players. So what, what describe that kind of player that's really gotten you guys to where you are? Well, I think the biggest misconception is like, you have to be a screamer and someone who's loud and whatever, like you don't have to have that. We've had plenty of guys that, you know, um, you know, play hard, but don't scream and yell at teammates or, or rah, rah guys or whatever. But that doesn't mean they're not super competitive. You know, you can go back in that guy and, you know, I'm watching like a Nick Dunn who's, who's playing, it was a fifth rounder who's playing in pro ball now. That's the quietest guy I know. But if you watched him on the football field, um, he was a competitor. When you watched him on the baseball field, he was tuned in and cared about every little thing. So, you know, again, th there's nothing to replace for someone who's competitive and, and does that in everything they do. And if they're going to do that, they're going to compete in the classroom. They're going to compete in the weight room. 
those, those things carry over. Okay. There's a lot of other uh, intangibles and variables that, that things may be good or not good about the person, but if they're competitive, I can find a way to win with them. So that is by far on my recruiting calls. Um, are they competitive? Are they passionate? Does it come through? Um, and honestly, I just, I just, if a guy isn't, isn't competitive, doesn't seem to, to, to care or, um, you know, rubs me the wrong way. I just, I just move on. And it, it's nothing personal. It's just, I'd rather take my chances with a guy that's, that, you know, is going to try to beat me in whatever I'm doing than somebody that's kind of feeling their way through things a little bit. Absolutely. So, yeah. So when you're, when you're recruiting a kid or you're looking like, how do you look for a co- competitive? Like what, what's something that sticks out to you when you're watching them? Oh, I mean, I mean, it could be how hard they play. It could be, um, are they communicating on the field? Um, you know, it could be what their coaches say. I mean, for me, like, do they play multiple sports? Um, you know, what's their social media look like? Like, are they a guy that just goes in there off hit tracks and looks at the board every time? Or is, you know, he genuinely grinding um, and, and understanding is there some competitive nature to it? So there's a tons of different ways that you could do it. But that absolutely at Maryland, you have to check that box of competitiveness. So I think there's tons of ways now. And especially I tell kids, man, first thing I do is look at their social media. I'm looking at their stories. I'm looking at everything. I'm, I'm seeing like, and it doesn't mean you can't have fun. You're a kid, live your life. I want you to have fun, have style, have swag. But, you know, are you competing in different things? Are, what's your personality like? And we all know that you have friends. I have friends. You know that over a course of time, who's competitive and who's not. So um, that's that's kind of my first thing I do by just doing my due diligence is, is seeing if, if I can find that out. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's not an easy task, you know. No. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I know like it, it does seem, you know, like that's that's definitely a separator now for a lot of kids with, you know, because competition, you don't see you know, the thing with travel teams and with other things, you see people just going somewhere else to go get playing time instead of yep. competing for it, you know, fighting for it yep. uh, and things like that. That's what makes, you know, high school, high school great. It's, you know, yep. guys can transfer different places. I mean, yep. um, you know, so competition, you know, is always uh, for sure uh, a, a great separator. Um, have there been, have there been players, I guess, have you seen through the way that have gotten in the way of your guys' success where you've had to like, look, I, I, sorry, I just didn't work. You know, like this is just not who we are. Um, is there any kind of thing you say, look, that's just, that's just not, you know, or maybe you they said like, this is a knockdown recruit from all these other guys. It just ain't just not, not our kind of guy. Is there a, is there a kind of player that's just kind of gotten away or maybe slowed you guys down maybe in the past? Yeah. I mean, I think when I go back to like the competitiveness or the senior leadership, there's definitely been some years where it, it wasn't as strong or, um, kind of the perception was, was differently based off just cause we won earlier. Um, you know, maybe some guys that were, were there when we won and just thought it was supposed to happen and kind of got lost in the fact of like, no, it's still take, you know, the next statement, it takes what it takes. Um, so yeah, I, I think you can just go back to the, honestly, the, the junior and senior leadership and the competitiveness. Um, sometimes it's a talent thing. Sure. Um, but normally you'll kind of see that where, like any team and anything in life, even normal people at work, it's kind of like if when things are going bad, is somebody going to grab you by the throat and say, hey, let's go, stay in line, push forward, or is it going to be three people are talking in the corner about complaining and doing this? I, I think that's 
every team has gone through that. I think everybody in any profession has gone through that. And it's, it's really the separator of how your season's going to go. Um, talent can only take you so far. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, like, like you said, I mean, those are things that you can kind of see in everyday life of guys that are complaining and just making it worse as opposed to, you know, Hey, you know, here's a little adversity. Let's, let's just keep moving forward and, 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 you know, go about our business in the right way about the process. And maybe, it, maybe it makes us win and, and things get better and maybe it doesn't, but um, it's definitely better than complaining and um, trying to, trying to fix it that way for sure. Sure. Uh, with, with as much competitive and as much things as that's important to your program, how do you develop that? You know, I talked to like, you know, you've seen uh, Vanderbilt, you know, doing their Omaha challenges. Um, you know, I just talked to Chuck Box. Chuck, he has like a toughness program and what he does down in Mississippi. Um, you know, is, what, is there a specific intentional thing that you're kind of developing that kind of competitor? Yeah, I mean, we, we have pillars. So, you know, we, you know, for example, we brought in the program, which is a Navy Steel type training. We brought in Brian Kane. Um, we, we've done everything. Um, our head coach, Rob Vaughn, is actually – really into the culture and leadership thing. He's really passionate about it. He does a great job with our players, but our three pillars. So we have pillars is growth mindset, toughness, and ownership. So those are our three pillars of our program. So they again, uh, growth mindset, toughness, growth mindset. and ownership. So those are our three pillars. So in everything we do, if there's something that's set on the field, um, you know, we'll, we'll reference that, you know what I mean? And, and always, to make sure that it's not just some slogan that it's got to be reinforced every single day in the cage, out on the field, um, in the airport, when you're getting ready to fly, all that stuff has to be consistently reinforced or it's just a slogan on the wall that doesn't mean anything. So those, those are our three pillars. And, um, you know, we don't have a lot of rules. I think good teams have standards. They set the standard and hold each other accountable to that. And, um, I think that's super important and we're able to do that through, you know, through those three pillars and kind of keep it simple and, um, reference those, reference those when we need to. Very cool. Very cool. Do you, do you like, comp, like, do you play any comp competitive games with your hitters? Yeah. Like, I mean, with them? it's every day, man. So everything that we do is because of competition. So whether they're in the weight room, the last five minutes is a competition, um, you know, whether it's hitting, we do things a little differently. So they'll come in with me for a half hour, 40 minutes before we go outside for the day. And they each, each hitter has an individual program specific to them because I talked to you a lot earlier on about movement. Everybody's different. I don't bring them in and they just do the same drills together, then go out. So they have an individual program with me. They know that's a time for kind of, you know, mechanics, movement based stuff to work on. But when we go outside for the day, there's not one word being said about mechanics, your swing, it's time to compete. So, um, you know, we go outside for the day we hit, we'll do, we'll do competitions, all types of competitions. Um, and it pays to be a winner. So, you know, what that means is the loser runs a triangle or does abs or something like that. So there's, there's always something on the line. Um, that way, if they're not competitive, it's, it's probably going to be forced into them a little bit because nobody wants to run a, a 65 second triangle for sure. So, um, our whole program is based around that everything we do. Um, even once we get into team practice, you know, we're doing a PFP, we're doing it in specific amount of time. We're splitting the teams up. And as soon as they make an error, the other teams off the field, um, everything is, is kind of geared towards that competitive base nature. That's great. That's great stuff. Yeah. That's a lot of fun too, man. Like honestly, and if you're, yep. if you're competing, those guys, you're just honestly giving into the more of those things that they like too. Yeah. 
Um, is there any kind of like uh, stat that you look at that you kind of compete with? Is there anything that you're kind of tracking that you that you're also kind of building that competition in? I think it's it's different every day, right? Like one day we might have situational baseball. It's like I'm getting out there on the mound and I'm throwing breaking balls, fastballs, whatever, and they're just trying to grind it out and score. You know what I mean? We're not saying, hey, home run this or that. Like, you know, we're trying to score. The name of the game, we're, we're playing offense, okay? It's not hitting. It's not, you know, just defense or hit. It's playing offense, and the, the, we're playing offense to score runs. So, you know, one day we'll do situationals where we're doing – you know, we're doing it by innings, so they have to hand it off and they have to work together. It's not an individual thing. Um, the next day be, could be a gap game where they can only hit it in the gaps and it can't touch the infield grass. It has to touch the outfield grass. And you have three guys out there that can still catch it, but it's got to fall between them. Um, just, just little things like that, that you're forcing competition, but at the same time, you know, your approach and the way you're going about competing in the game is also kind of being reinforced. So I think that's your job to kind of change it up day to day. And, and some days you're working on something specific, but some, some days you're, you're kind of, you're kind of geared more towards other things, but you can always do that through competitions. Sure. Sure. You can. Yeah. That's gotta be a lot of fun, man. That's gotta be a lot of fun. Um, you know, those things are purposeful too. You got these behind you. So that's really, really great. Um, when you've, you've talked about how like every individual's different, you know, they have individual time. You know, how are you, how are you trying to make everything so individualized and still, you know, you, you want to get to Omaha, you know, you want to have yeah. the best team possible. Mm-hmm. You want to continue to strength as a team, mm-hmm. you know, how are, how are you able to balance those things? Well, I, I think, man, just to be completely honest in this game and, and what we do, if you recruit good players, you're going to win. I think that's talent can, it can beat other talent any day of the week. It's just the way the kind of world is. It's the way that kind of works. So, if you consistently recruit talented players, you're going to win. But my job and my passion is not only to recruit good players, but then to develop them. So development is being missed in today's game. It's being missed. And I don't mean with the data and all that. I'm saying the specificity for each guy, because we just don't have the time as college coaches, right. To, to really take the two hours a day with a kid. We're restricted by NCAA rules, but I can still kind of put them in an individual program and gear it towards that and be efficient with it to get the most out of them. So when I'm talking to kids, when I'm recruiting them, my, my, my thing is, is like, yeah, you can play at Maryland, you can play at North Carolina, you can play at Vanderbilt, but I'm also going to develop you to be the best player and live out your dream of major league baseball. Okay. On top of, of course, being a good person, you know, developing you to be the best player and the best person you could be. And then I give them examples. You know what I mean? I give them examples of how I'm going to do that. I will break down hitting and their swing before they're even committed to me. And coaches are like, well, why would you do that? You're, you're going to make them better even if they go somewhere else? Yes, I am. Because I believe that much in trying to help kids and overall the fact that I'm here for a certain reason, that that's what I'm going to do. So what we do with our guys specifically to that is, is for the first three weeks of the fall, I'll just watch them. You know, who am I to come in and say a guy's had 18 years of success and in the, the seventh day I have him, I'm like, ah, that's not going to work. Let's do this and this and this. I'm killing his passion. He's upset. He's frustrated. He's saying, what does this guy know? It's gotten me here and all this. You, it takes time. You have to build that relationship. You have to have that trust factor before you do that. So for the first three weeks, I just watch. I may put him in some constraint drills. I may collect data and film some stuff for myself. But for the first three weeks, I'm just watching. Okay. 
If a kid starts to fail um, and comes to me earlier, that's a different situation. But after those three weeks, then we start to have an individual program. Um, it could be a guy on a PVC pipe because his first move when he goes to a forward move is here, right? So when he lands and his shoulders are like this, his counter move, he's going to have to come here. So get him in a PVC pipe and say, hey, when you're going to stride, you know, look at here and we're trying to get him to just here. And that's just one little thing. So we're setting his body up for success. Could be a med ball thing. Could be a T drill. Could be a foot drill. Could be a heavy bag. Um, all these different things are in their individual program. So what I do is I'll do three exercises per day. Okay. The three exercises last two weeks. Okay. So they're only coming in. I'm not blowing their mind. They're only doing three things when they come in. Okay. Every day for two weeks, then I switch it. So by the time they get to Christmas, they have 10 to 12 exercises specific to what they've done that they need to improve on movement wise or whatever it may be. And hopefully over that time, organically, they start to understand themselves and get better because I tell recruits in the same thing. Development is, isn't me just telling you what to do, dude. Like I can tell you to do this drill. You listen. Great. You're a good kid. Development is you being able to come in here at eight o'clock at night when you're on your own and work on something and you understand it. That is development. That's how you become a big leaguer. So my job is to help you become your own coach. If I'm not doing that over a course of time where you understand, you're not going to be as successful as you could be. So th that's really my big pitch for not only the individual part, um, but then I can still incorporate that with a, with a bigger group when we go outside um, and, and still kind of have that mesh and chemistry. That's great. That's, that's, that's twice. Uh, so I talked to Jimmy Jackson too at JMU, and yeah. it's, it's one of the biggest things he talks about is development is how it helps you become your best coach, you know? Right. So I think this is, you know, um, one, it just shows your ego and how humble you are um, and how you are. You're just all about wanting to help, help your, help your athletes, which is really, um, which is really awesome. It's yeah. really great coach. So um, to help them become their best coach to develop them. Um, but yeah, they have to do, they have to put the work and you're going to put them in good situations, but yeah, there, it still comes down to their work. I have a feeling about what this answer is probably going to be from you, but um, what do you feel like is either the best trait or possibly traits of these great players that you've been around? The ones that, like you said, they've gone to, they've gone to the next level and just been the, that elite player. Um, I, you know, I think we talk a lot today, especially what's going on. I mean, I think self-motivation is a big thing. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say just competitiveness because, you know, I'm going to say that already. But <laughs> yeah, awesome. um, I, I still think if you're competitive, you still have to have that motivation. And it's yeah. got to be internal. I can't I can't be like pulling you along. I can't be doing that. And, you know, I think I talk a lot about that in recruiting calls today. I'm like, listen, dude, I know it's hard that you got to get up on a Zoom. Uh, you can the kids can be in their underwear still. They can they're in their room. They can be comfortable. But it, it's that internal self-motivation that's going to allow you to concentrate and be focused. So um, I think one, you got to have that self-motivate and I hate to use the term like the switch, but you got to have it like all good athletes. I think, you know, you know, I talk about like, I'm com so competitive. I wake up out of bed and, you know, I'm ready to do something. If someone's challenging me to do something. And I, I know that sounds cliche, but you know, chances are a lot of good athletes have that, you know what I mean? They just have that self-motivation, that switch to just like, all right, let's roll. Um, Another things I think that we've had on our good teams that I've seen is like the guys like to be together. Um, you know, whether it was at tailgates on a Saturday or whatever, instead of taking that whole day off and just sleeping in bed, 
they were all together doing something at a tailgate or going bowling or competing in something. And I, you know, I think we're all out to find how can we find that on every team, but that's not how it works. But there's definitely been a common denominator of, um, you know, our better teams. And I, and I think I'm going to kind of maybe give up a little secret to what our guys are doing. The most, the most thing I'm proud of right now during this coronavirus is our recruiting classes for 2021, 22, and 23 are organizing their own Zoom calls together. They're, they're, we have a couple guys that have taken the leadership role of, they're talking about books, man. They're talking about workouts. They're holding each other accountable. And it just blows my mind that, you know, we have nothing to do with that because we can't. Um, they're organizing that. And I know that when they get here, you know, we're going to, you know, get the fruits of that labor and that's all that's going to come to fruition where we had those teams. Um, so little things like that, man, that's just priceless that, you know, makes me so proud and so excited to have these guys here because there's no learning curve. You know, you used to have the whole fall or you're feeling it out or, or this or that. And it's like, these guys have been talking for two years. They're, they're arguing over, you know, David Goggins book can't hurt me and how much of a savage he is. And, and all that stuff. Like those are topics that are being talked about right now. And you're like, what? Like no high school kids talking about David Goggins, none. You know what I mean? So um, I think those are little things like that, that hopefully in the future, when you just keep pushing that along, the culture is not just within your team, but it extends down too. Absolutely, man. I I feel like, um, you know, those are a little thing, but those are really big things. Like those are really great things. Um, And what people don't realize is like a lot of those things are, are skills that you still got to mold just as much as what you need to do if you're hitting. Yeah. Um, you've talked a lot about books. Uh, mm-hmm. And is that something that you guys encourage on your team? Yeah. You encourage I mean, reading. Is that something you do as a team or a program or a coaching staff? Yeah, we've done different things in different years. Like over the Christmas break one year, we had them pick one, one of five books and they had to read it um, and then give us something to their coach about, you know, what it was and a breakdown on it. Um, other years we've done movies, the warrior, um, shows, um, you know, the all blacks, um, the New Zealand rugby team, um, which are fantastic. We, we've tried a bunch of different things. Um, we've even done a classroom session one season where we met once a week and we just talked about stuff that was culture and leadership and winning. Um, so I, I think as coaches, we're always trying to evolve. Um, we definitely have done all of those things. Like I said, too, with the Navy SEAL stuff or whatever, and what you're trying to do is just find what works. And I think in our business, you know, just like a teacher, right? Like we can do a lot of things, but you have to be efficient in how it resonates. Like just because you can do a lot of things doesn't mean it's the right thing. Okay. So these guys got class, they got girlfriends, they got study hall, they got baseball, they got, you know, all these different things. You know, how can we utilize our time the best and get the most out of them? So I think that's, it's always changing. It changes on your, your, the type of team you have, maybe the leaders, but, um, you know, I think it's something that as coaches, we're all trying to find that, that magic sauce per se. And, um, you know, something that fits kind of consistently every year. Um, I think what we, what we have done and coach Muscara is our pitching coach and myself is we have brought a level of mindful, mindfulness to the team, meaning, um, you know, it's not about what you did last year. It's not about, you know, your draft year. Um, and just being present every day. I think Moose asked his pitchers to write down three things they're thankful for every day on an index card and makes them, makes them do it every single day. You know, my guys, when they come in to hit, they meditate for three minutes every single day. 
So we start off hitting by meditating. I make them hold hands. Trust me, someone come in and be like, this is the stupidest thing ever. I don't like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Then all of a sudden I'm holding their hand and a minute and a half in, you see their shoulders just go like this and they start to relax. Okay. And that's something that at least whether they like it or not, I'm bringing mindfulness and them being present no matter what's going on for the day. And that's going to be good for the central nervous system, their mind, anything else. And then you use it as a teaching point out on the field. Like Moose may talk about, you know, pitchers routines, my hitters, what's your routine and on deck circle, you know, what's your, what's your inbox routine. Are you picking up a focal point? Are you breathing? What is it like that stuff has to be specific because, you know, the only thing that keep us from losing our mind is breathing. And, and, and what I mean by that is when we're at um, Cl- or South Carolina in 14, there's 10,000 people there screaming at you, telling you you suck, spilling beer on you, all that stuff. The only thing that you can keep consistent is your routines. That's it. Even though you're not at home, you can look at the bat the same way, fix your bat and gloves the same way, breathe the same, get in the box the same way. And that in itself will give you some calmness. Okay. So it starts with meditation and it, you know, evolves into those types of things, which listen, we, I can go into the mental game all day. It's, it's more important than the actual physical things. Cause I've had plenty of kids get drafted, plenty of kids with talent, but did not know how to manage the mental aspect of the game. Oh man. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, buddy. I'm right there with you. I'm, a, I'm like, kind of cut from the same cloth, man. Like, you know, at Smithsburg, our, one of our, one of our pillars, our core core advisors competition you're like mm-hmm. we're going to compete um you know and it's about it's bringing your best at every time at, at all, in all in all areas um but at the same time you know because everybody you'd ask anybody how much of the game is mental you know they're going to say i mean the, the least i've said is 50 50 at least yeah. that's like the lowest number i've heard in that question you know so my question following that is well how much are you working on that mm-hmm. yeah i think oh yeah i mean I, I didn't know if you were asking the question but you know I think for us, we're working on the mental game a ton, you know, whether it's meditation or, you know, why are certain things happening in these situations? Like, are you prepared? Like, you know, what, for example, a shortstop, you know, you got pitcher hitter situation, right? Every single pitch, what's, you got to pay attention to what pitch it is. What's the situation? Who's the hitter? Every single pitch, it changes. And it's always a mental thing. It's always a, but if on defense, you got to have the same routine too, right? You start looking around at your girlfriend, you start, you know, looking here, your hop isn't on time, then things are disjointed and you may not pay attention that the guy was a run runner at the plate and you took that extra shuffle. Now he's safe and now we're screwed in the inning. So it, it applies to everything. So um, everything we do is training the mental aspect, the competitive aspect and trying to all mirror it together. So, or mesh it together. Um, and I think that, you know, that's, that, that's the best blend you get out of guys in that way. So will you bring that into your hitting sessions as well? Besides, you know, you said your mindfulness stuff at the beginning when you're meditating, but like, do you want those guys to do it? Like when they first get in to go through their routine or is that like a, a certain station or like you guys having like working on release stuff when they get done out of the cage or they mm-hmm. get done during BP session? Yeah. So the meditation is just, we start the day off with that before they do anything They're, we're, we're um, holding hands and we're standing up and we're doing that. And then um, over the course of time, I let them pick their own, routines as long as it has a couple things in there a, a focal point a breath um and, and i'm having them do that and i let them write it down i make them write it down on an index card so i know it because i'm in the third base box i see everything i know when somebody steps differently i know when he breathes differently i pay attention to everything so you know he's gonna get sped up you know when he's sped exactly. up and he hasn't gone through it 
exactly. So, and, or I may scream release. What you're talking about a release is, you know, you've heard it talked about maybe in yellow and red lights or an umpire screws you and you need to step out. That's, that's what a release would be. Maybe an extra breath, um, an, an extra second or whatever it may be. I have all these things on an index card so I can hold them accountable to that. Because when I'm in a third base coaching box, you know, my cue is different, different for every kid. You know, Maxwell Casas is, a, is massive and hits bombs. I may tell him less is more because the slower he is, the more he's relaxed, the better results he has and the farther the home runs go. So, but another guy, it may be, um, you know, hold your line per se. And, and it may be a guy that has, is spinning off. And I'm thinking about if he's holding his line, you know, for, for our communication purposes, he's going to have good direction towards the middle of the field. So every one of my guys is different, just like the routines. And we got to be, we got to be in union of that um, or else I know something's kind of off. <clears throat> no, I think those are great, man. I think, that, and, and it's all part of just putting out of the whole developmental hitting program. I mean, hitting is, yep. you know, you, I don't think you'd be as good at a hitting coach as you are uh, without g- having a good sense of that and car- your kids mm-hmm. being able to do that. Have you seen like, so have you seen pl- uh, players who have, um, maybe had an easier transition to, to, to play at your level coming in with certain skills, like certain men, men, uh, certain mentality, man. I, I mean, it's tough, right? I think we're all trying to figure that out. I've had some of the best players we've ever had just completely fail and be miserable. Um, <clears throat> I think honestly, man, in life, everybody has to fail. I think our greatest tool of learning is through failure. Um, you know, I'll give an example of Randy Bednar, who was a great player in high school out of Maryland. Um, a couple of years ago, he had a, he had a tough freshman year, um, you know, kept trying to do it, um, a certain way and work harder and do it this and this, and, and he was a savage worker, but sometimes that wasn't the right approach. And it took him till summer ball that year to really reach a breaking point where he made some changes and now he's one of the best players in a conference. So I don't think there's anything that you can predict that how some guys are going to have success over others, because He's an extremely hard worker, one of the best kids I've ever been around. So he's a great kid. He listens. He's a hard worker, great teammate, but doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have success. So, you know, throughout that, um, I think I think what we preach to guys is being consistent. I think the only thing, again, you can control on a daily basis is, is your attitude. And the guys that you see that are most consistent every day, good, bad, or indifferent, are the ones that, that have the most success early on. Um, not the guys that are kind of riding the wave or whatever. We want guys like right here. Doesn't matter if it's doesn't have to be rah rah. Doesn't have to be like just be you. Just be consistent every day, um, and that kind of state of mind and that consistency, I think, will enable you to have success earlier. Sure, you know, and and just kind of feeling where we are on this, and a lot of things that you're saying that I truly are passionate about and believe in, and knowing that knowing the what I need to work on personally and what I always battle with is how do you hold that line? Cause I know that you said, like you said, you're very competitive. Um, how are you holding that line to show them that consistency mm-hmm. or to show them that, Hey, you know, we might've got hosed here on this call. And how do you, how do you hold that line? Well, I think, you know, I use this word all the time, especially in the podcast is authenticity. Like you have to be your authentic self as a player, as a coach, as a person, you can't do what someone else wants. You can't be what someone else wants you to be. You have to be you. You have to, the things that have shaped my experiences in life, I've been through a lot more than most people in my life. And that has shaped who I am today. And 
you know, I can't try to be Coach Vaughn and I can't try to be someone else. It has to be authentic. So as long as I'm authentic every single day and consistent in that, somebody knows what to expect. If I ride the wave, then, you know, they're not going to know what to expect. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to ream them when they don't do something, but they know I'm going to ream them. They know what to expect from that. So I think for, for, for me and for us as a coaching staff, that's where the clarity comes in. They know what to expect from you um, because you're consistent in how you handle yourself, but you also have to be authentic. I think every coach and every person, every player um, has to be able to have that freedom of being authentic because we're, we're at our best. We express ourselves the best. Um, we form relationships the best when we're authentic. That's a great answer. That's great. Cause I, I mean, I just, I battle with it so much, you know, trying to be like, like I heard, I was on the ABCA call, I think it was Tuesday night and, you know, it was a great, it was a great saying. Um, I think it was, um, I forget who it was, the coach, he coach talked about being at 72 degrees, mm-hmm. you know, being at 72 degrees uh, as a manager when you're managing the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know for me, that's just not all that tough. You know, it's just, I mean, that is that, I'm sorry, yeah. that is tough, you know, yeah. sometimes. Cause I know being my authentic self is so yeah. competitiveness and want to go and go and go, um, you know, that where things happen, but me being authentic is, is like that. So I battle that. I battle that a lot, you know, trying to know, doing to pick my spot. So I was yeah. just wondering if you kind of had any of those. Yeah. Know, and, I, and, and I think, I think that's fine because the kids know what to expect for me personally. You know, for instance, my, my brother died in high school. My sister died of cancer. My mom has cancer now. Like I've been through things at a young age that nobody I know has been through. So that allows me to be vulnerable with some guys on the side and, and build that relationship. But they know 20 minutes later, if we're out of practice, that, that I can be hard on them. So I think as coaches, we talk a lot about if you truly care and love your players, um, no matter what, it doesn't matter what you do to them. You know, can't physically harm them, but you know, I think that's what it comes down to. So I use that to my advantage, but it still doesn't change my authenticity of, of being a psycho competitor out on the field and what to expect of them. I think what we can always do <coughs> as coaches, sorry, is come back. And if, if we care about them and we love them, then, um, you know, I think that trust factor is there to, to kind of allow us to be ourselves. Sure. I really appreciate that coach. And uh, you have been, that's a, so it shows you why your competitive shows that your heart shows that your true passion um, this has been, uh, unbelievable, uh, for me. And, um, I really appreciate, you know, you sharing and sharing as much as you do. Um, it's just been, uh, exceeded my expectations for sure. But, um, I'm sure there's a lot going to lot come from this. I'd love to be able to come back again. Cause I don't want to take up a ton more of your time. We've already been over here an hour now. Um, but so what would be like, if someone would want to contact you, maybe some more information, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, I started this this hitting page. It's called Maryland Made Hitting. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. Um, you know, I really didn't do it for self-promotion or for myself. I really started doing it for recruiting because recruiting is really hard to talk about on the phone. Um, it's very, very – the vocabularies could be different. Every Every coach is different. So I really just started it for that to kind of give an inside look on, you know, our, how we handle our team and some things we do. And um, – I think that's a good place for, for just general information. Like um, I appreciate you having me on. I'm here to help. Uh, I'm super passionate about it. Just like you are. Um, I'm, I'm Maryland made and um, that's why I'm here. And, and, you know, hopefully just continue to do this stuff and, and share the knowledge and um, learning from guys like yourself and, and more people out there. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, I think what's also shows, I think 
just looking at me from the outside in for, for that, for your hitting is like, those are the kind of hitters. And like, that's the kind of philosophy, like where, Hey, if you want to come here and get on, get better, here's what I'm going to offer you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So I think that really even shows another, uh, another avenue to saving kids where you should be looking into this, like where if you don't, if you like this kind of system or if you move like this or you want to help, like that's, that's where you want to be. Yeah. So. I think for, for us, man, personally, it's like an individual based thing. I'm not telling you one way to hit. And I think there's not one specific way. There's been hitters that are different from Ricky Henderson to Tony Bautista to Julio Franco to Juan Gonzalez to Mike Trout to Wade Boggs to, you know, all these guys that like have all hit in different styles, but today would be vilified probably for standing like that. So, um, you know, I think if you take an individual approach, you can you can kind of tailor that to each guy as opposed to maybe just saying, hey, you either hit like this in this system or you don't. Sure. Is there an is there an email that you'd like to share with anybody or just go to the Maryland website for that? Yeah, our information, our different coaches is on there. You can at umterps.com. There's there's some stuff that's that's there. Hopefully, I think we're gonna roll out soon um a different type of website for camp because we're not able to do camps. So maybe some virtual online learning for coaches for kids that instead of trying to do a one day virtual camp for a hundred bucks, you know, um, make it sound kind of like a consistent type type of content thing. And where, you know, you can learn and I can learn and um, guys are getting to know us through the process. So um, hopefully we're going to talk about that today here in a little while on a work call. And Incredible, incredible information by coach Matt Swope, University of Maryland. I, I get the pleasure of um, going back through and editing the podcasts, which means I have to listen to it again. And this time, I picked up even more things, wrote down more notes. Coach Wolf just offered a lot of great content. And if there are, if you do have questions, if anything was maybe you weren't really sure of, I'm sure if you reached out to Coach Swope, again, go to the University of Maryland athletics website you can find his email go to and follow him on twitter at maryland made hitting and find a ton of content you can dm him and ask him those questions that you do have you know but i just going back and thinking of things that i picked up on um you know he discussed about getting into his back hip the reciprocal movement. Reciprocal movement, if you're not really familiar with it, is the best way I can say is the biggest thing I would do right now is pick up the book Old School versus New School by Eugene Bleeker. It is an unbelievable, really had blown my mind when I read it about the amount of information that this guy did, the types of movement patterns, um, and just the way that you're trying to blend the old school versus new school. Because I do believe... That's where the best coaches are lie. It's not so much, you know, you don't have to, I don't think as a good coach, you can't just pick a side. It's about the now. It's about what's going to help players now. And sometimes that's the, an old school approach. Sometimes that's saying you got to swing right to the ball and take your hands to the ball. And there's an other approach where other kids, it's not going to work. Uh, it, it's it's, it's going to get the best. And I think that's where the development has changed. People are getting better because technology is better. Training's better. And so you have to find what's going to best serve the kid. And you heard Coach Schroep talk about that, even from his routines and things like that. And he has them write them all down so then he knows them. And so he can then give them that same language because you can't tell everyone to stay closed. You can't tell everyone to 
throw your hands at the ball because that just doesn't make sense to everyone the same way. So each player needs to find that. And if you're teaching at a younger age, then you need to help guys with all the different types of ways that people might know how to stay closed or all different ways that might help kids to feel getting into their back hip. And then you find out what works for them and you write it down or somehow keep track of that. That way, you know, Johnny likes to say load early, but Jim likes to say, get it down. Regardless, whatever the, whatever the cue is, you just need to know what works for that, for that player. So I just thought those were great, great examples. He really has an individual based approach, but still trying to compete and um, he knows what it takes to win, and he's seen the best players and the best teams do that, and they've had to play together. So even even being individual-based and doing what each kid needs, they still are all about Maryland. They have pillars in their program. All great programs have values, and they've got their three big values he talks about. I love how he said compulsive pe- competitors right now. And I know if people have been watching The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, you can tell That is what really has separated him. He's been okay. He knows the price of being the competitor and having the mindset, but that's what it takes to be great. It's going to, it's going to take a sacrifice. Um, but to be a compulsive, compulsive competitor, and you can just tell that that's what coach Schwope is himself. And, um, he's a tremendous man. Uh, the vulnerability that he's just spoke in the interview, uh, really resonated with me as well. And I really appreciated, Everything he did, you can tell that the, I, I know his players respect that. And even after today, I, I've just got even much more respect for Coach Swope, University of Maryland program, and what they continue to do and how they continue to be successful. Reach out to Coach Swope if you have any questions. Please reach out to me if you have any questions. You can email me at treytcobb at gmail.com. You can reach me at Twitter at Coach3Cobb. My DMs are always open. Uh, if you, even if you're not following me, um, I'll be happy to take any questions that you have. Uh, please share the podcast if you find value in it. Share it with someone that you think would also find value in it. And if you're a continued person, hopefully you continue it for next week. Next week, I've got another great interview lined up already that I hope we both can find some value in. But please let me know how I can make the show even better. And I want to thank you for turning in for the to the Better Men, Better Ball Player podcast. It's a lot of fun, and I'm hoping you're enjoying it. Take care. Keep getting better.